Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's July 7th. 1881, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Ariel, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. It was today in history in 1881 that Italian children opening a new magazine aimed at them, Giornale per i Bambini, met Pinocchio, the mischievous wooden puppet boy who would go on to enthrall them with tales of adventure and starvation and prison and drowning <laughs> and hanging and beating a little cricket to death with a mallet. Yeah, Pinocchio was a very different tale back in 1881 to the one we know and love now, mostly from <laughs> Disney. But I must say, I'm surprised it was so recent that it was created because I think because... It was Disney-fied in 1940, in the same era as Sleeping Beauty and Cinderella. I sort of assumed this was mm. a folktale from Europe like those. But in fact, the story was only 59 years old when the Disney version was released, which in itself was 83 years ago. So the film is now older than the story was at the time. Oh, that's a mind melt of a, <laughs> of a factoid. <laughs> yeah, it's funny that in the original serialised version, you know, you mentioned all of the horrible stuff that was going on, Rebecca, but Pinocchio actually dies. He's hanged for various of his innumerable faults at the end of chapter 15. But <laughs> So he was killed off quite quickly, but at the request of his editor, uh, Carlo Collodi, who wrote it, added chapters 16 to 36, basically where it gets a bit nicer and he has a uh, fairy with turquoise hair who rescues him and eventually it's in this chapter that he goes through the transformation into becoming a real boy. Well, at no point does he sing hi diddly dee. No. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I mean, if the first series of Pinocchio stories ended on a pretty down note with him being hanged in the woods, the, sec- <laughs> the, the, you know, the completed happy ending version also ends on a fairly bad tasting night, I have to say. Pinocchio comes across his old nemesis, the cat and the fox, who had hung him at the previous version. Now they're both decrepit and miserable and they beg for his help. And his response is, Adio, false friends. You cheated me once, but you will never catch me again. (laughs) Well, I think the light and shade that we're hinting at comes about for a variety of reasons. One is that it it was serialised, so like Dickens in this era... Um, the reason Collodi was able to bring him back after having killed him was because it was just another cliffhanger. Mm. I mean, every chapter, every serial week of this uh, story ends on a cliffhanger. Is he going to be sliced by a knife? Is he going to be eaten by a serpent? Is he going to be burned on fire? That's what happens in every single chapter of Pinocchio because it was written in serialisation. And the other reason that it's kind of a bit more of a complex meal than perhaps you're expecting from this iconic children's character is because... Collodi was the pen name of Carlo Lorenzini, who was a journalist, a civil servant and a satirist before he was ever a children's writer. 
Yeah, and for years his specialty was political satire, and then he became disillusioned with politics, and also his day job was being a civil servant, which you can imagine might limit the kinds of political satire you might be able to do. And at that point, he turned to children's literature. One of his first efforts was a translation of Charles Perrault's famous fairy tales, and that possibly gave him the idea that this was going to be uh, a relatively lucrative seam to mine. Although he couldn't completely shake his political roots, you know, one of his book series for children was a geographic review of Italy that was basically designed to celebrate Italian reunification which was then very recent and there's an argument that I've seen made that a lot of the tales in the Pinocchio stories are actually kind of coded moral instruction to children to help them navigate this new and uncertain landscape you know Italy at the time was really riven with corruption and so you know a lot of the stories in Pinocchio are cautionary tales about pitfalls for the unwise you know it's Pinocchio being led astray by con men you know left right and center yeah and I think the reason that we have this sense that Pinocchio was some ancient folk tale is because it's got a lot of the elements of like narrative structure that you find in folk tales where kind of unsuspecting peasants head out into the unknown world and there they encounter the same kinds of things that Pinocchio finds, these absurd and kind of comical situations. And really what Collodi was responding to was the fact that this was a real world issue stemming from the fact that Italy was undergoing this really rapid industrialization at this time. And so you had this mass movement of people coming into the cities, into urban areas from outside town. Also, I think when you're talking to an audience of children who aren't expecting there to be a coded political message, you know that they're going to read it in one way and then it took off in popularity almost before the grown-ups realised what was happening. I mean, that's what's clever, isn't it? Mm. Whereas when you know, as I do as an adult, that this is the man that in his 20s founded a satirical newspaper (laughs) called The Street Lamp, which was actually forced into closure by the Grand Duchy of Tuscany because it was too controversial and then he followed up with the second one called The Controversy. When you know that it's that man who's doing it and that he had volunteered as a soldier for Italian unification twice... When you then read the first lines of The Adventures of Pinocchio, albeit in translation, you get a very different impression. (laughs) They are, Once upon a time there was a king, my little readers will no doubt say in a flash. No, kids, you got it wrong. Once upon a time there was a piece of wood. Mm. Now, that just seems like a joke about misdirection in the child's mind. But, I mean, if you're reading that as an adult, he's just called the king of Italy ten years after the unification of Italy (laughs) a piece of wood. So, I mean, the satire is not really all that coded. Yeah, and education looms really large over the original stories as well. A lot of them are about Pinocchio at school. A lot of them are about Pinocchio being punished for trying to skip school. And I think it's really worth noting that at the time, less than half of Italians could read and write. And Collodi himself had only been educated because his parents worked for a wealthy family and they had sponsored his education. It's funny considering you've got these really very historically... Uh, located uh, themes happening that it has managed to speak to so many people around the world. In 1905, Otto Julius Bierbaum uh, published a new version of the book in Germany um, and that led to the French edition and then somewhere between 1911 and 1945 that's when it really exploded across all of the sort of European languages and several languages in Asia, Africa and Oceania. It's regarded as being one of the most translated books in in the world. Yeah, and there are now over 60 versions of Pinocchio on film, uh, including some porn ones, I presume. (laughs) Um, But it's just so fascinating, isn't it, that if you asked, you know, a person in the street, what's Pinocchio about? I feel like they'd say, 
it's about a, a puppet who became a real boy, mm. and it's a cautionary tale about lying. Yeah, those are the things people remember: the nose and becoming a real boy. Neither of which happen <laughs> in the original chapters of the Adventures of Pinocchio. The, the lying stuff and the nose stuff that does happen a bit in the extended version that he went on to write after post hanging, post hanging Pinocchio. <laughs> um, but the um, redemptive transformation into a child that you know, was like a happy ending that was kind of forced on him by his audience. It's not part of the original story. Pinocchio killed the cricket, who was not called Jiminy Cricket, by hurling a hammer at him. You know, Pinocchio falls asleep in front of a fire and gets his feet burnt off. He gets turned into a donkey and thrown into the sea. You know, these episodes do not make it into the Disney adaptation. Although, actually... He sort of gets half turned into a donkey, doesn't he? Yeah. It's nowhere near as traumatic. Although I do think... The 1940 Disney film does depict things in a way that wouldn't be seen today. You know, it's easy to be like, oh, look, they Disneyfied Pinocchio because they're not hanging him anymore. But there is like smoking and drinking and violence in that movie that definitely would not happen, you know, in a Pixar film today. We should explain the donkey thing as well. Uh, Because I always wondered, like, what is this getting turned into donkeys? Mm. Like as a kid watching the Disney version, I was like, that is genuinely terrifying. But why? (laughs) Um, And it's all based on a pun. So um, briefly... Uh, in Italy, the word for donkey is used for people who refuse education because they're too lazy at school. Mm. But it's also used in the convention that we'd use it in English of like, if you're a donkey at work, you're working really hard, you're working to exhaustion like a donkey. So it's it's a pun on that. It's It's a moral from the book. And it's perhaps the only surviving moral, really, that's gone through every iteration of Pinocchio from the original which is basically don't be a donkey at school and you won't be a donkey at work. In other words, pay attention at school and then you can get a job, which means you don't have to strive away and work yourself to exhaustion doing manual labour. Well, it's funny to think of all the themes that could have been highlighted by the Disney film. And actually, you know, you look at the cinematic interpretation of Pinocchio over the years, which started really, really early. You had in 1911, uh, there was a 45-minute hand-coloured silent film that was directed by Giulio Antamoro. In 1932, there was a Japanese version that had this experimental technique using animated puppets. And then you have the 1940 Walt Disney version. So there was like this really swift transmutation from him as a character on the page to a character on the screen. Okay, pub quiz fact. Who is the only actor to have played both Pinocchio and Geppetto on screen? Kevin Bacon. (laughs) (laughs) Good guess. Uh, Rebecca, I mean, Uh, name an Italian actor and you'll get it. Roberto Benigni. Correct, yes. (laughs) Oh, good, because I didn't have a second one. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Uh, So he wrote and directed his own version of Pinocchio in 2002 when, despite being in his 50s, he played Pinocchio. Um, But then he was also cast as Geppetto in the 2020 Matteo Gironi version. Is that like the Italian equivalent of graduating from doing Romeo to Hamlet to Lear? Yeah, (laughs) it's Lear. Lear is Jiminy Cricket. (laughs) He'll only get there in his 90s. And so another week of retrospecting ends. But next week begins a day early at Club Retrospectors. Join us now to get an exclusive episode every Sunday. Patreon.com slash retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network.